From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. everybody to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me as always, because it wouldn't be the same without him, my main man Roger Mitchell. Hi matey, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? I know you're super jet lagged, are you okay? I, yeah, Half I'm, I'm upside down. I am in, I'm in Sydney, Australia uh, to see my wonderful daughter. That's so great. I got here yesterday uh, after a 17 hour flight, one straight shot from Houston, Texas, which was, uh, boy oh boy, I tell you what, when you get on a flight and you can take a sleeping pill, sleep for eight hours, and you've got nine hours left on the flight. It's just, My God. It does something, does something to your mind. But it was, um, yeah, it was actually as good as these things can be, Roger. And it's, uh, I've landed in Sydney. It was 100 degrees yesterday, absolutely sweltering. It's going to be similar kind of temperature the next day or, day or two, and then hopefully a little bit more tolerable. We'll see. Well, um, I may come out and join you at some point in the next uh, couple of weeks. We'll see work work, uh, work commitments, but good to see you. And uh, no, mate, that would be great. Have you out here? That would be we'd have yeah, a lot of fun. Have yeah. a lot of fun down here. Yeah, yeah. I've never been to Australia. Never been. Ah, well, in that case, you've got you should you should pull out all the stops and get down here because it's uh, it really is a spectacular place. I've heard that. Yeah. So anyway, what have you got for me? We'll, we'll try and keep this a wee I, bit. It's, it's it's. I'm just trying to think of a way that we can. Do goal own goal without talking about Liverpool Manchester United yesterday, <laughs> because it, that that's both right. That's goal and an own goal. But I, but I do want to talk about it, Rog. I do want to talk about it because um, from a slightly different angle, and that is journalism. Mm. You know, uh, these are two of the most storied football clubs in in England, um, each with a, a very rich history. Manchester United have kind of fallen on hard times in recent years as Liverpool star has been in the ascendancy for, you know, the first time we've seen that flip around for probably 20, 30 years, right? And, of course, it provides great fodder for journalists. And, you know, in recent weeks, I've been struck by how every article I've read about each team has been on the Liverpool side, the team's finished, Klopp's done, he's got to completely rebuild. You know, the Liverpool that won the title and kind of flamed in and flamed out for about three really good years, maybe four if you count the year they lost to Chelsea. It's over, it's done. And meanwhile, Manchester United, where every single article you've read about them for the last, gosh, six or seven years has been, what's happened to this club? It's terrible, it's awful. You know, we've had a period in the last, I don't know, two months where... Out of nowhere, really, Man United have strung a few performances together. They've never looked convincing to me. When I've watched them play, they keep winning games. They keep winning games. They haven't looked like a you know a, a team to be frightened of to me, but they kept winning games. Um, and if it hadn't been for Rashford, maybe they wouldn't have won many of those games. But of course, you see the you see the the Carabao Cup final. They beat Newcastle, which let's face it. If you'd have seen those two teams playing in a cup final at any time in the last 20 years, Man United would have been heavy favourites. So they do what they're supposed to do, really, and that's beat Newcastle. And I read articles saying, you know, Man United are back. 
they're a force to be reckoned with. They could win the quadruple. Uh, you know, this team is Casemiro has fixed the team, and Ten Hag is the is a, the second coming of Fergie. <laughs> and then we see yesterday. You know, we see an absolute debacle. And we can talk about the game in a second because I think the game was was important to talk about. There was a lot in there to discuss. But the journalism, you know, every single article I've read, Liverpool are back. Klopp's rebuilding project, he's now going to get Luis Diaz back and he's going to get Jota back and it doesn't matter that Firmino's going and they're not going to miss Sadio Mane anymore and Van Dijk's back to his best and this team are going to challenge for honours. And of course, on the flip side of that, Manchester United, it's the worst performance in 30 years. You know, wholesale clear out needed. Fernandez has got to go. He's a disgrace as a captain. Luke Shaw is abject. Dad, you can go down the list. And it, and it just makes you realise, Rog, that the standard of sporting journalism, bar a few that we've spoken about, you know, the Jonathan Lewis of the world, the Marina Hyde's of the world, Henry Winters of the world, barring those... I wouldn't put Henry in there. I, I wouldn't put Henry in there. Oh, I, 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 like, I like Henry. And Martin Samuel as well, I think, is a good journo. But it just makes you realise it's, it's utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense, you know. Shock horror, football is fickle. Yeah, Sh- shock horror. Exactly. Exactly. You know what happened yesterday? Liverpool had a really good game and United had a shitty game. That's it. There really isn't more to it than that. And you can dig into why and you can say, oh, this player was out of position for that goal and this guy wasn't trying. They had a terrible night and they happened to have it against a team that were having a great night, who are a great team when they're playing like that. And they got battered. That's it. End end of story. But of course, there's no lasting comments in that. There's no three days of... Uh, hand wringing and you know shirt pulling and pulling the whole thing apart and discussing it on every social media platform possible but i just it just makes you realize that so much of it yeah the sports journalism is just nonsense these days mm. um i think i take a slightly different view from you on oh, that. i love it i could yeah. i could tell a from your body language <laughs> and to your first mm. well, <laughs> so well let me hear it's, it. no no it's not polemic it's not a polemic Look, um, you know I'm the direction of travel guy and in the direction of travel you get blips. Yesterday was clearly for me a blip. Direction of travel was Liverpool more or less gave what they had to give last year and this year was going to be a disappointment. I still think that's the case. I think that yesterday was the last hurrah of the old war horse. Uh, A bit of pride. You know, Sunish knew that, you know, in front of the cop... Um, against United, they're going to find something that that they had exhausted almost that that passion and energy in the last three or four years, as they said. So I don't think the narrative of Liverpool's done has changed for me. I, I, I certainly don't agree with people saying, "Oh, now they're back now, and you know they're going to be back." I, I think Klopp's era is is over. I've said this many times. That kind of manager, you know, from Arrigo Saki downwards, they have got a shelf life. And I believe he's kicked the donkey as many times as going to be allowed to. Yesterday was 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 a blip because it's a f- specific fixture, because they were up for it. Um, I also think the scoreline was a little bit of a freak. If you look at the XG, I, I, I don't think it was anything like 7-0. So L- Liverpool, last hurrah, I would put that under. Uh, Man United, I do think Ten Hag is, 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 is really, really superb coach. You know, and yesterday, and yesterday shouldn't change that. I think he is absolutely going in the right direction. He will have found out a lot about uh, his team yesterday, more than the the previous ten games that they were all on the up and up. He, he will have probably made an opinion on Luke Shaw 
uh, yesterday, Fernandez. You know, these are guys that uh, they're not they're not going to be long term at Man United. So, uh, I think my, uh, United yesterday should should take that as you know a blessing in disguise. It blows away all the froth and and it gets back to some major surgery that's still needed there. And in the theme that I believe that Ten Hag is going to take them back to where they belong. Um, the game was a freak, you know. Like I, I watched the second half and. I mean, that third goal that Liverpool scored, like, you try that a hundred times, that move breaking out from the back, it doesn't go in the net. And just everything was coming off, uh, you know. So, But what what I would say, Grant, in general, and I would link this to the game before, the day before uh, with Arsenal, the Premiership is scoring on every level possible as sport, as entertainment. The Arsenal game, and you talk about narratives, right? See if they don't score in the last the last minute, the ninety seventh minute. Arsenal, we have got a major VAR situation in England this morning, and we don't like we didn't last week because Arsenal turned it around despite what seems to be horrendous VAR decisions. VAR needs to get sorted out. Parenthesis: It really needs to get sorted out. But you know they did turn it around. That is a team that. Like you could see from that documentary, he's building some kind of esprit de corps, some kind of like team spirit uh, that has got a connection to the community. It's a lot of young lads that are scoring the goals. Yesterday, the winner is a young lad from from there. Um, you know, so Arsenal doing that and hanging on and City still there. Oh, and then do you want to talk about the fact you've got eight teams in the relegation area? you know, with very little points between them. Fuck the government regulator. Leave this shit alone. This is really, <laughs> really good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I mean, that's 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 how I enjoyed yesterday. And I did enjoy the, the, the whole fixture card. And of course, we'll get this finished before the West London's real derby, which is uh, Fulham versus Brentford. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it's, uh, what more can you ask for, Grant? Yeah, the, the Arsenal game was was definitely one of my goals this week because um, regardless of whether you're an Arsenal fan or not, Roger, if you're a football fan, it's impossible not to get swept up in a game like that. You know, I've always had a soft spot for Arsenal. Yeah. I've got a lot of mates who are big Arsenal fans. And for me, whenever Fulham weren't in the Premier League, which is basically every other season in recent years, <laughs> Arsenal was always a team I look for simply because through my life they've always been the team that have played the kind of football that I've always enjoyed to play if you take a few of the Georgie Graham years out. But certainly 80s, 90s, 2000s, they just, there's, a, there's a culture about Arsenal that you can't help but connect to if you're a, if you're a yeah, true yeah. football fan, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, so to watch that game, and, and I have to say... When they were 2 nil down, I had a feeling they were going to win 3-2. Oh, the game wasn't it just over. Felt, the game wasn't over, you It could just tell. felt to me that they were not only going to get a couple back, but they were going to win it. Uh, I didn't think for a second it was going to be the way, they, the way they did it. But when you look at the stats of that game, Roch, and I'm sure you must have seen them. Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, for, for Arsenal to have 81% possession, to have 684 passes versus 108 for yeah. Bournemouth... For Bournemouth to have 15 clearances. I mean, it, it was it was such an onslaught by that Arsenal team that it's almost impossible to see them not winning that game. But to win it in the way they did, at the moment they did, and to see the sheer joy on the, on the faces of those players 
But more than that, to see it in the management staff and to see it in the fans. That was real football fans enjoying the kind of moment that only football can give you. It doesn't matter. It, it's, it's not the same as a buzzer beater in the NBA. It's not the same as a last-minute touchdown. I don't, I don't care what sport <laughs> is your sport. There is something about football when it serves us up moments like that that is unlike any other sport in the world. And, and that, that game and those last minutes and the aftermath were as close for me as a neutral to pure sporting joy that I think it's possible to feel. Yeah, I, I, I knew you, you were going to say that. Colin told me that you had been waxing lyrical to him, the Arsenal fan, about all of this. Uh, you know, I don't know whether you saw that article I wrote on Sunday about, you know, the community and the, the Sutirol team and what I think. I did. It was a, be- it was a beautiful article. I was, going to, I was actually going to ask you about that a bit later, but you, we can talk about it now. It, you know, I just, you, you know you know me, Grant. For, for everybody that thinks I've got certainty about sport, I'm the most uncertain person of all because you don't write that article about the importance of roots and brand and community and slag off those that are trying to build those things by money uh, if you don't really feel sport and football. So I'm conflicted. I can see the wins and everything that's going to take sport in a certain direction. But I'm clinging on to what I think you just said about Arsenal, which is it's no coincidence that, that they've been revived at the same time as North London Forever has become a big thing. I just don't yeah, believe I it. that was a great I, point. I, I don't believe yeah. in coincidences like that, you know? And, and, and I, I, just, I just think they're, they're a fantastic story this year uh, against all the odds. Well, most people didn't give them any chance. And, you know, I, I just hope that in some way there is some kind of reaction to what's happening in, in the King's Road with, uh, with Chelsea that they just seem to be buying anything without any rhyme or reason. And just pump. What, what, what was your great line? They, 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 they're spending money like a Kardashian on, on Rodeo Drive, on the King's Road, or uh, Radio Drive. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and it's, it's just <laughs> anyway. So uh, to be fair, listen, I, I give them giving a lot of people in sport a hard time these days. The English Premiership, um, for all the issues that it's got, and it's going to have more going forward. It is a superb product. Truly superb for all demographics. You've got the memes and the fantasy just roaring away. Uh, and you've got, for people like you, the romantics, you've got that game yesterday and, and 7-0. I mean, goodness, it's, that's an outlier as well. So, you know, great stuff, great stuff. Well, it's, it's funny that you bring up that North London forever because I, I, I agree with you. I think that is a huge part of it. You know, when you, when you look at Anfield before the game, when they sing You'll Never Walk Alone, as a neutral, it's stirring. What that must do to a team standing there beneath all those fans singing that, what that must do to their nerves, to their adrenaline levels. And, you know, that North London Forever anthem is amazing. You know, I, I went to the Arsenal with Colin to see the Villa game earlier in the season. Another last and minute. And, oh, no, that wasn't it. I had this. Yeah. No, no, no. No, that was, yeah, that, that was the first one yeah. at, at, at the Emirates. I almost said hybrid there. At the Emirates. And... Um, but it gave me goosebumps yeah. as a neutral who, who doesn't have a connection with that. Um, it gave me goosebumps. And, and, and there's something happening in that stadium and at that club that even if they don't win the title this year, even if so, and, I, and I, I 
touch wood, and I don't want to jinx anything, Colin, if you're listening, sorry, mate. I feel like it's theirs to lose now. They've got that one game against City that's going to be everything. But there's something about this club and that team and that manager and those fans that is creating something very special for, for who knows how long. Yeah. But something's going on at Arsenal that is that is meaningful to to me as a football fan. That's good. Nice to hear. Good. Good, good. No, it was excellent. Excellent stuff. Um, I've got something else I want to ask you about um, regarding football. And we'll take it a little bit more into the the dry side that was mentioning earlier, the winds of change and everything like that. You know, so I'm here in Italy and, and obviously Inter Milan is, you know, a team going for the Champions League. And I saw this article, saw two actually. One said, uh, Inter Milan don't get into the Champions League. Um, the, the, the bailiffs are coming. Um, and the other one was their sponsor, Digibits. It's one of these, I think, one of these Web3 betting things. I don't know. They, they Guess what? <laughs> They're not paying uh, and, and they've gone bust and disappeared and everything like that. And, um, you know, I was just I was just thinking about, you know, football and, and, and Inter Milan and, and, and everything like that. And, and you know, uh, I was thinking, who's going to buy it and why would you buy it? And... Uh, and I was just linking it, Grant, you know, indulge me a little bit. Since I've done these articles the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of people, uh, funds, banks, coming to me and, and wanting a chat about things, wanting a chat about things. And, you know, all of them, Grant, all of them are in money. They're all looking to spend. They're all looking to mm-hmm. buy sports assets. And, um, you know, so you start a conversation, what are you looking for? What, and, and most of them aren't in venture. Most of them are private equity. And, and again, I'm coming back to that uh, newsletter you did on private equity. I think that's why I'm bringing this up, you know, as as what I think is is my own goal this week. Um, you know, so they say, no, we're looking for stuff that's cash positive in sport. And, you know, it's got a regular revenue stream and it's a certain size and, you know, it's ready for accelerated growth. It's all these kind of phrases. And I say, there isn't a lot of stuff in sport like that. You know, certainly not in Europe. There's not a lot of stuff. And and once you start talking about that and you talk about things that have happened, you come across one, and this is one I want to talk about, you know, um, Delta Trey. And I've got nothing against them. I'm only coming at them because they're one of the best examples, not because I've got anything against them, but an Italian company, they're they're a a proud Italian company and they've done great in sport tech. They, They were sold by George Pine and Bruin, for what was said between 700 and 900 million. So let's say it's in the middle of 800 million. Um, the reported revenues are 180. Uh, so that means that their valuation when George sold it was four times revenues. Profits weren't disclosed, but let's say, let's say that's a business with 20% margins. So it's kind of like EBIT, that's maybe 40, 35, 40. And you do a, a, a calculation there, and and you know the the number for for EBITDA uh, multiple is what's that twenty eighteen twenty. Um, what I'm saying, you know, what I'm going to say about this grant is these things are massively overvalued. On mm-hmm. any historic basis, you should not be paying four times revenues and twenty times profits for a business that is not high growth. Now, they would say they're high growth. Oh, you're having to pay for all of the high growth. This is a saturated market. I think they'll struggle to keep their market share. So not, not only do I not believe it's high growth, I think they will struggle because they've already lost the NFL to the zone. 
And, you know, who bought them? You know, serious people, serious private equity funds, Bain and, you know, one of the major Italian ones as well. And, and, and I'm just thinking, Grant, I think the sector is full of assets on the books of funds that if they were marked to market properly would take a 50% haircut overnight. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, you know, you, you, you read the piece I wrote about this the other week and this fits with it perfectly, Rog. You know, we're in that wily Coyote moment, right, where these private equity guys have gone over the cliff, their feet are still spinning, but gravity hasn't caught up with them yet. And when you talked about nobody should be paying those kind of multiples for a business... They should have done. They were forced to for many, many years, right? Because they've taken all that money in. They can't earn a return on it unless they invest it in something. And so they were investing in anything they could that gave them even either A, a whiff of a return, or B, a feeling amongst their investors that, okay, they're out there, they're deploying the money, they're doing things, they're going to turn these things around. And yeah, even though we bought it for, you know, six times revenue they're going to sell it to someone else for eight times revenue you know there's that mindset going and this is why you know you and I have spoken about the difference that that a genuine cost of capital makes to all these businesses and all these potential suitors for those businesses this is it now right if if you look at like the most actively traded ETFs in the US for example the first couple of them are like the T-bill ETF I mean you can imagine there is such a thing short-term money market instruments paying five percent are one of the only games in town right now. Yep. And so suddenly if, you, if you've if you raised these, these PE funds and you've got to deploy the capital, this is an horrendous moment for you because do you go against everything in your being and give that money back because you can't find a way to deploy it effectively and give up all the fees? Or do you carry on assuming that this is a blip 5% short-term rates are a blip and, hey, let's hope with any luck a recession's going to come and they'll cut rates, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, with any luck we'll get a recession. Yeah. And I think that a lot of PE firms, like everybody else, has not really understood how much things have changed right now. People are still in the mentality that this is the blip rather than stepping far enough back to see, all right, it was a big blip, but the last 20 years are the blip in a much, much, much longer cycle of finance. And I suspect we're going to see some some really, really major things go bust here, Rog, whether it's assets, whether it's firms. We're going to see an awful lot of negative headlines about how PE firms have been marking their assets. And look, anyone who's interested, if anyone's listening to this that's interested in that, um, then just drop us a, a, an email or something and I'll, I'll send you the piece I wrote about private equity just so you can understand the bigger game afoot here because it's important, you know, a, a lot of Certainly for sport it's important money. now. You know, yeah. it, it is, Grant, you know, like they, they, there's a lot of them out there and, and, you know, sorry for cutting you off, but I didn't want to lose this point. You're saying the wily coyote moment, which I don't think they believe it is that moment. I think... Most no, of, them. Most of, of them, most of them believe that these assets are still a good buy for one reason. And this is, comes back to my follow the money thing, which basically means go back to the source of everything. Go back to whoever's pouring the champagne into the cascade of, of glasses at the top. Sport is, uh, is broadcast uh, rights for sport. 
a lot of people believe that they are going up. There was the FT conference in London, and I think most of the talk was about them going up. And people look at the NFL deals and they look at the upcoming NBA deals and they get all, you know, they get a hard on because it's all going great, isn't it? You know, it's never been better. I don't see it that way. I, I think, you know, it's much more nuanced than that. I think, you know, the bids that American sports, especially the NFL, get in America is to do, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so, to do with the fact that it's on terrestrial TV and it's still ABC and old TV and there need sport because it's the only thing that still gives the big audience. In Europe, we don't have the BBC and, and ITV and Rai and all the bidding for sports. They're long, long gone. The people yeah, bidding yeah. for sports in Europe are hard-nosed businesses that are bleeding to death. I mean, did we not hear the zone yesterday? You know, so I don't think that is the best premise to be looking at sport. And then, you know, you look at what else has kept sport afloat and, and a bid under it in these years that gets everybody all nice and fuzzy and, and comfy about this modelling. You know, one of them was, you know, the big amounts coming from crypto and sponsorship, leave that, that's gone. The other one was, you know, the money that was coming from the big data players like uh, Radar, like Genius, that were, you know, on the back of the opening of the US uh, betting market. Have a look at the share prices of Radar and Genius. They are both listed companies. One is down 50-something sure. percent. Genius is down 77%. Right. That, in my view, Grant, is what would happen. That is the public market's benchmark for how the private equity should be marked to market. You've got an example there. And, you know, the last thing that's going to be ripped out from under the feet of sport is the disappearance of the benefactor. You know, the benefactors have all got slightly different names. All the ones in rugby that have kept that whole industry alive at that club level, they're not going to continue to do that. You know, uh, we talked about rugby the last time and since then we've now got stuff like English clubs thinking about joining the Welsh League and merging. It's just like bouncing off the walls, bouncing off the walls. You know, Len Blavatnik at the zone, how long is he going to keep financing that, those losses? They do need to get to break even. And, you know, the the the, the, the other benefactors where, where the oligarchs, they're gone. Um, and, you know, the only game in town left is the Arab money. Uh, and the, the kind of like what I call the really silly American money, like, I'm sorry, but there's no way that Todd Bowley has made good business buying Chelsea for that price and spending that amount of money. So when you see the source coming back to all the way, follow the money, all those sources of liquidity trickling down and they're all kind of like drying up one after the other, which I think they are, you know, we're going to get into a period where I think this is going to be very difficult. And, you know, private equity is right in the middle of it. They've got one advantage. They are private markets, so they don't need to show anybody how they're marking to market. But... I don't think the deal that Bain buying Delta Tre <laughs> uh, should be at the valuation they paid George Pine for. By the way, George Pine made a great deal there. He bought it for about 140 and sold it for, I'm assuming, 800. Good on you, George. You know, like we've had him on the podcast. But I'm telling you, I believe there's a lot of really silly private equity deals in sport and in not in sport. And we've got to wait and see when it all comes home to roost. Well, it's interesting, because I, I think your point there is right, yeah, about the only money left 
in town, right? The only money left in town is the money coming out of the Middle East, right? Because it's essentially the last price insensitive money because that they have an altogether different motive other than profit to to spend this money. But they were competing with a bunch of guys who were supposedly trying to make a profit in the private equity firms. They were trying to take, turn these things around. And I would imagine that even the Middle Eastern money, the bids are going to get lower because they don't need to outbid these guys to crazy levels anymore. Maybe they bit, outbid why, themselves. And, maybe they have to outbid yeah, themselves. Maybe, maybe. But, but, but this is why, and it brings me back to another subject, which is a goal and an own goal this week. And I think this is why this is so important for much, much broader levels than the particular sport in question. And that's live and the goal from yeah. the PGA Tour of battle. You know, this that is... That was mine as well. I had that one. This is, to, this is, to me, this is ground zero. Now, this is the test case for Middle Eastern money coming in, throwing ridiculous money, believing that, hey, we've got so much money and money will buy us anything we want. And if we throw enough money at golf, we will take over golf, it'll come our way and we will dictate terms and we will achieve all our aims. I don't think that's going to happen. And and we'll get into what happened with the PGA Tour this week, Roger, but I want to go back to what I said last week about... Mm. um, about watching the live because now it's being broadcast on the CW network in in America. So I got the chance to watch it. And I really, as I said at the time when we had this discussion last week, I really did say, right, no matter what I think of this, I'm going to sit and watch it for an hour and and give it a proper go to see what it's all about. And it's abysmal. It's utterly abysmal. There is nothing in it, Rog. There just isn't. There's no substance to it. Even, you know, the fancy scoreboard, it's yeah, yeah, confusing. Yeah, you, 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 it's you've been clear on that, and so, I don't so disagree. I was I'll clear it. And now, and this is why I think Liv becomes a massive test case, because the PGA Tour obviously made changes this week, and, you know, our, our dear friend Eddie Pepperell put a great thread out on Twitter saying how he thought this might be a mistake and why he thought that might be a mistake. I don't, I can see his point, but I don't think I agree with him. On it, I'm still processing it all because it's only a couple of days ago. Has, this, this is the cuts being removed. Correct, on, on some of these events, right? Um, but what's interesting to me is everyone's, you know, Westwood and Poulter are obviously out on Twitter straight away going, oh, this is an interesting idea, no cuts. You know, they're obviously bitter and I totally understand why. But the PGA Tour are basically being forced to counter something that's challenging them and they're doing exactly what they should do they're counting it and you can say oh oh so you're going to have some events that are no cut oh you're just copying live it doesn't matter they are combating an existential threat to their existence and what they're doing and the way they're doing it is stirring up a lot for a lot of debate but ultimately when i watched that live tour and i thought about okay i'm the saudi money backing this how long am i going to give this how long am I going to do this before I say, you know what, we're not going to get this golf thing, let's let's move on to another sport. And I don't think it's very long, Rog, look, looking at what I saw, particularly with the moves the PGA have made to counter it. And there's going to be a lot of sour grapes on Greg Norman's part. We had this years ago, you know, for people with long enough memories and enough grey hair like me will remember when Norman challenged the PGA to originally with his own world golf tour. This was 25 years ago. And the response back then from the tour was the WGC, it was the World Golf Championships, which was essentially more or less what Norman was proposing. And Norman was bitter and twisted at the time, and, oh, the, the PGA Tour have just copied what I, was, uh, what I was suggesting and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? 
Norman went away with his head, tail between his legs for 20 years until he came back again. The PGA Tour won because they made the adjustments they needed to make to appeal to the parts of this proposal that were appealing to the fans, which was get the best players playing each other more often. They've done the same again here. And I suspect the Saudi money, looking at the tiny, tiny inroad they've made and looking at what the product they've put on looks like to the average viewer... I don't think they're going to give this thing very long, Rog. I don't think Liv will be going in two years' time. I think they will realise that, you know what, the incumbents are making changes that we didn't think they'd make and they're just too entrenched and they've got too much going for them in terms of tradition and history and longevity and all the things that golf is all about for us to be able to come in here, start a new tour and take it off them. I just don't. Mm. And so I think Eddie's points about what those um, changes would, would mean to people on the bubble and whether they would actually ask to go and join live. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the people who can't get into these designated events will go and play the minor, you know, the Quad Cities Classic and they'll go and play you know, the Honda Classic this week, right? The first in a series of Florida swings, which traditionally has the weakest field in the Florida swing. I think you're going to get a lot of these players on the bubble showing up to play the Honda Classic and showing up to play the John Deere and showing up to play the... Uh, I forget what it's called now, but the one in Napa at the start of the year, which is a great course and a great place, but has a weak field. I think Liv is toast, and you can bookmark this. I I give it another two years, maybe they throw good money after bad, but I think the first time you see a Brooks Kepka try and defect back to the PGA Tour, and there's all kinds of rumblings around the fact that that's what he wants to do. He's, he's made a bad decision, and he's looking for a way back to the PGA Tour. You get one guy going in the other direction, Rog, and this thing is over. You can fold your tents and go home. Mm. Listen, there's about three or four different elements to what you're saying there. And I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying is going to happen, but I think a lot of people are confusing three or four different elements here. Let's try and break them down. The the, the first one is this. Um, Is golf, the way it was organised before live especially, in any way, a product market fit for a modern media product in the entertainment industry. I, I think, um, especially because <laughs> the PGA are copying them now, I think the answer to that is no, it wasn't. Uh, that's the first thing. The, the second question is why wasn't it? And why is it only now that the PGA uh, are making the changes? So that puts you uh, the question, are they fit and proper to be running the monopoly? Let's not forget the monopoly that is called the US PGA. That's the, the first two things. The third thing is, are Liv making a good fist of this? The answer is clearly no. The fourth one is uh, conflating all of this with uh, the big bad Saudi money, which I think is a total red herring about uh, Saudi money. Um, it's always been the wrong line that Monaghan's taken to cover up his inadequacies, his laziness, his complacency, and his lack of understanding of what modern sporting content as entertainment is. So I think there's four elements to this. The one about Saudi money, I would love to take off the table because when we saw Aston Martin go around so beautifully yesterday with uh, Alonso, what was it said on the back of the, the car? Aramco. Right, can we, ju- yeah. can, we, can we just stop this Saudi stuff and this Arab uh, stuff in general? It's a holistic thing. It's not a live thing. Are we... Conf- well, uh, Rog, uh, Rog, Rog the, the only thing I would say there, and, and again, not to interrupt you, but yeah. there's one thing 
there is a difference between putting your name on a jersey and being a sponsor and trying to essentially take over the sport, which is what they're trying to do. They're trying to take the sport. They're not trying to promote a team or sponsor a team like they are with Paris Saint-Germain or with Newcastle or whatever. This is the live golf tour. So I, I think that it's, it's maybe splitting hairs, but I think well, there is I th- a difference I think between... It, well, I, there is a difference, but I think it's semantics because when they go through yeah, a no, club... Yeah, maybe. Well, because the, like, again, come back to that phrase. It's a slogan, but it's lost its, its meaning. Follow the money. It's not a slogan. Follow the money. Their money can go directly into uh, the rights holder, which in this case is live, or can go through clubs, which then distorts the whole competition as it's done with European football and a whole lot of other things. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just a slightly different way of completely changing the, the sporting world that we want. So my point of view about the four elements of what you're saying here, and I don't disagree with what your end game here. Live, I think, is poor, uh, very poor. Let's take Saudi aside for the reason I said. That leaves you with, are they the right people to be running the game with all the challenges it's got to find a product uh, market fit that, that works for 2023? I think patently they've been shown not to be. They uh, have not moved for, I've said this a million times, they've not moved for all this time and all of a sudden somebody comes along and every sacred cow that they had, they're thrown in the bin with, with the, the, that, that new thing with Tiger and Rory and whatever that is. Uh, and then this thing about the, the cuts going away as well and the designated tournaments. They've basically copied Liv. You're saying, oh, well, they've reacted, so Liv's dead. I see them reacting as the indictment that they shouldn't have been there in the first place and they shouldn't be running a monopoly. There's nothing worse than incompetent, complacent people with the power of a monopoly. Nothing worse so if it does end the way that you think it does, and you're probably right, that live goes away, we should still say thank you to them. And Eddie should... I don't as, disagree with that. But okay, as long as that's the case, we're in alignment, Grant. We're in alignment. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I think the changes are positive. I think you're absolutely right that Monaghan has been caught asleep at the wheel. But it brings us back, Rog, to this argument that we've had or this debate we've had for so many years of doing this podcast about this whole what is it that the fans want you know to use your phrase where's the beef right we, we want to see the best players in the world head to head we want to see all the you know Logan Paul and KSI and all it's all about where's the beef where's the conflict we want to put these names against each other but the other thing that I would say that Liv has shown up in that there has to be there has to be some kind of jeopardy. It has to mean something, right? Now, your darlings, KSI and Jake Paul, it does mean something because one of them is going to get the crap battered out. And their reputation is shattered. Yeah. Right. They are putting something on the line, right? There's nothing in live that's on the line. There's nothing. There's no jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. And and when, when I watched that Honda Classic, there was something on the line. There was trying to win a trophy that Jack Nicholas's name is on and Arnold Palmer's name I is get on. That. And I get, it might I get, not mean anything, that. but to put personalities above the sport, there has to be some meaning to it. It cannot just be about money. And I think that this revulsion to rich people getting richer 
is going to only amp up in the weeks and months to come. I, I don't when, see that, Grant. I don't see that. I when, know you like I, that. I, I, I just do, Rog. We live I, in the I world think, of the Kardashians. If, no, I think if you no, I think that's going to change, Rog. I, th- I know I you do. Think I know that's you going to change, and it comes back to what it costs people to feed their families. It comes back to that, and that's why I think live making the first mistake they made, and I said this right at the very beginning, is making this all about how much we're paying these guys. That's how we're going to get headlines. We are going to pay Phil Mickelson $150 million. We're going to pay, we're going to try and pay Tiger $800 million. That was their first move out the gate because to them it was all about the money. And I think that attitude's going to change. There's a reason that I had, literally this week I found out what the winner of the US Open Golf won, Matt Fitzpatrick, last year. And I found out the difference in prize money from 2022 to 2021. It went from two... Two, two and a quarter million dollars to th- almost three and a quarter million dollars. Now, I didn't read that anywhere. I didn't read anywhere that the prize money had increased 50% for the US Open to three million dollars. I would just happen to be looking at different venues and I was trying to remember when the last time the Open was at Shinnecock and it happened to have the prize money. I had no idea. It's never been about yeah, the money. Get, it's about I, I, the I jeopardy. That. It is about the jeopardy, but it still needs to work in an entertainment market that ultimately pays the bills, um, and, and that's where I think the PGA has. But Raj, that but that jeopardy, that jeopardy is what makes it work. It's what makes. Well, it you work. can have it, both. They're not mutually exclusive. You can have the jeopardy. No, they're not. But you can have a smaller field with the the, the top ten players that they're mic'd up. That you know you do shoulder content. It's it's not one or the other. You can still have them playing for serious stuff. I mean, look look at yesterday. Look at the Formula One yesterday. Who would have thought that in the middle of a race, in the middle of the pit stop section, they go to what is now called the boss cam, where they do a live interview with Horner of Red Bull. You know, how how do you think that's going? How do you feel that your tyre strategy is going to be now? In the middle of the race. You know, that's where I think too many of people with good hearts, because they they do it because of the tradition, they love the tradition of sport. They see things as black and white. They don't see that you can make improvements and still keep everything that you hold dear. It's not, you know, and I keep coming back to this and article after article, there is a way to go forward, but it needs people of real strong quality and skills and management. And the thing about managing in sport is that you need EQ, you need emotional quotient, you know? And, you know, there's just too many, whether they're sitting in the WRU or the the Irish FA, I saw another article, and this isn't, uh, you know, Jonathan Hill's trying to sort out this mess at the Irish FA, but he inherited another rights holder who thought they were in the stadium business and who can't pay for the stadium and they're now asking the taxpayer to bail them out. And, you know, this stuff has got to stop because the level and the quality is too low. And, you know, I'll stop this rant a little bit by trying to make it constructive. You know, Ferrari last year were the mean clowns because they got their strategy wrong every time. They've sacked sacked that guy, right? They've sacked that guy. No, they actually haven't. He's back in uh, Maranello in Modena and he's got a desk job. I think you would call it that, that. The head of strategy now is this young guy... And this is where I've got so much hope. And let me let me read about this. Uh, uh, he's English, of Indian origin, and brought up in England. Raven Jane 
has a physics undergraduate degree and a master's in mathematical and theoretical physics from Oxford University. You know, this kind of quality is out there. And to see sport more and more get rid of the old farts that are just stealing a wage and bring in this kind of quality is something that we've got to hope more and more for. And I'll link this with Liverpool at the start. You say Liverpool had a bad year. Have a look to see what happened to the head of data, the physics PhD in Liverpool. And, you know, do a graph as to when he left the club and when their performance has changed. Now, correlation doesn't mean causation. I get that, right? But hell's bells. He leaves and all of a sudden the wheels come off. I'm going a little bit for causation there. Well, Roger, in fairness, I mean, who amongst us doesn't have an advanced degree in uh, applied physics from Oxford University? I mean, come on, they're ten a penny. <laughs> I mean, I've got one, haven't you? I know Not- Jimmy the Greek's got one. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's, that, that's... But listen, you're joking, but that, that's the... That's, that's the game now, you know? Uh, no, sure, sure, sure. But this is, but Rog, this is, this, this, this is how this works, right? This is, we, we saw this in finance for 30, 40 years, right? Every smart guy with a physics degree, a biochemistry degree, a degree in all kinds of tangential things went into finance. Why? Because that's where the money was. That's who was paying the money. That's why third-generation farmers wanted to go and be doctors and lawyers. They didn't want to take over the family farm because, hey, you know what? You've earned enough to send me to a good school and with my chemistry degree, I can get a job on Wall Street and that's where the real money is. And if the money starts piling into sport as it has been, it will attract all kinds of phenomenally gifted, intelligent people. It's, that's, that's there's the a way difference it, you know? between and, sport and, and finance and you make a great point there. That is true. There's two, there's two differences actually. Um, sport... Uh, you know, it has got an attraction that the cold finance doesn't. Finance, the only thing it's got to offer is the money. Sport has got everything you talked about at the top of the show. And there are really smart boys and girls because let's remember Red Bull's head of strategy is a girl, same kind of background, um, who go to sport because this, this is the second point, this younger generation, they are much more about purpose and meaning and what they're doing in their lives I know we boomers like to laugh at that, but I've seen enough of them now and I've seen them make choices and I think it's true. They actually are looking for something a wee bit different. And I just hope that this kind of quality of boy and girl comes into sport and starts kicking a few tyres and, and, and really, you know, shakes it up because it does have a big future, this industry. It, it, it is the only thing that still guarantees a mass audience for advertisers and everything like that. But we can't have the Jay Monaghan's, we can't have the Welsh Rugby Unions, the Irish FAs, etc., etc., dragging it down because they like the Royal Box and the Volavons at halftime. We've got to get past this, Grant, and we can together and we can make sport the way you want it with the changes that I think it needs. Make sport great again, Rog. I can see you now with a red baseball cap. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, by the way, what's this about Rory saying, oh, he doesn't like bogeys and people winning with bogeys. It's not entertaining. You know, like, that's what he said yesterday. I I didn't see that. 
Oh yeah, that. you know, this tournament's going to be won by people making the least bogeys. It's not good. I just think that's wrong. I mean, there's nothing better than seeing people struggling in a golf course and, and a tournament, you know. <laughs> for you, know, you and me, yeah, for you well, and me. Well, we're the audience. We're the audience, you know. Uh, but anyway, so um, so what what else have we got for me? Any more for me this week? Well, no. Listen, I'm just like I didn't finish the bit the last time, but I, I do want to have a good shout out for um, for AC Milan and and Jerry Cardinale. Um, I don't want him to think that I think he's done a bad deal at AC Milan for that money that he spent. I'm just saying a lot a lot of things have to go well. For, for him to grow into that price that he's paid. Let me put it that way. And the reason I say this with a lot of affection is because different to Inter Milan, AC Milan have been grinding it out with really strong management for about four or five years now. You know, Gazidis put a, a team together. There's Casper, the, you know, the CRO role, and there's a lot of, you know, people below them. And, um, you know, they've, 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 done well, I think, in buying good players at decent prices. They've kept a little bit of discipline. They're ready to go to the new stadium. Inter Milan isn't. They just, you know, they just don't have the money. They don't have the the necessary covenants to be able to move. So, you know, AC Milan, thumbs up. There's a lot of people that I think deserve a shout out for being really, really strong. But Jesus, that's a chunky valuation. Jesus. I mean, honestly, with all the will in the world, Jerry, good luck. Well, look, Jerry. Jerry is an incredibly talented executive, Rog. So if anyone can do it, it's him. So That's I true. Think you're right. Wishing the best. Of the, of what have you got? What else have you got? We'll see. Well, Rog, I've spent most of this week on, a, on an aeroplane in, in a dark steel tube, <laughs> trying, trying to while away the hours and keep looking at my watch. So uh, I'm just about out of things this week. Apart from obviously, as you say, the big West London derby, which kicks off in about twenty minutes. Right, we'll, we'll wrap this up then. So I know you have to get your your shirt on and the scarf and like you know. Well, get that's your, right. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to warm up in the tunnel, Rog, before uh, the family pack of dry out, roasters before and going the, out <laughs> onto the pitch and sitting on the couch. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, this is look, this is another big game for us. You know, it's funny. Before yesterday, when I saw the FA Cup six round draw and we got United at Old Trafford, I was like, oh come on. We had Grimsby left, we had Sheffield United left. The only two teams you'd want to avoid are Man City and Man United in that draw, just just to get to a semi-final at Wembley, right? Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we draw United at Old Trafford. But after yesterday, well, one or two things is going to happen, right? We're going to suffer the backlash or we've got a chance of beating them up there, Rod. So I'm, I'm more hopeful now than I was three days ago when the draw came out. Put it that way. Listen, your season's already been a massive success. Zero issues about that relegation battle I mentioned you know, you're fighting for a European place. You've got stability. I mean, like, come on, don't be greedy, Grant. It's been a great season, even if it ends. It's been a great season. But I'm, listen, I'm a fan. I can get greedy. I'm, I'm I'm, realistic about it. I know I'm being greedy and that's half the battle, Rog, right? <laughs> Says the man complaining about football fickleness at the top of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, good on you. Good, good on you. Good on you. No, so listen, uh, Premiership is great, as we said. Um, John Ram's playing well and uh, can't see many people stopping him this year. Uh, rugby is really, from what I hear, there's been a lot of people that's reached out to me in rugby that I didn't know them. They seem to think I know a lot about the industry. I don't, uh, but, you know, they, t- they, they I don't, you know, and, they, you know, this Ealing thing and, you know, it's all going to kick off and, you know, we're CVC and, and uh, Jesus, I'm telling you, and the benefactors are not going to hang around 
God, you know. But I, I watched Drive to Survive. I saw I saw that new whole new series. That was quite good. It was. I think this yeah, is still I'm half, the best. I'm one. halfway through that. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that next time. I'm sure because I'm halfway through it. I want to finish my, it before I make my, my last own goal, which is a very quick one, very very quick one. Um, I'm seeing this for Jimmy as well because Jimmy, the uh, the producer, is a McLaren fan at F1. So you know me. I'm not going to let that pass. You know, McLaren was. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. It was a shit show, like 19th and 20th. You know, absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. Drive to Survive made a big thing about them poaching uh, Oscar Piastri um, from, yeah. from you know, and, you know, Zach was full of it, you know. He had kind of like ripped it away from, from Alpine and everything like that. Uh, Alpine did very well yesterday, uh, Gasly, and McLaren was dreadful. But the own goal is this, and, and this is under the heading, do they think we are stupid? So yesterday, right, do they think we are stupid? Yesterday, Zach Brown or his team, his social media team, put out a wee post um, well after the Grand Prix finished. We'd like to congratulate whoever their names are for uh, uh, winning the Indy race uh, in a McLaren drive. Right, so he thinks that he can get away with a deflection tweet in a moment. (laughs) I mean, Zach, do you not know the world that you live in now? You know, like, that's not get your social media team on it because that doesn't look good. Just own up to it. You're in a bad shape. You'll get better. Don't try and tell us that you're celebrating the indie win because nobody cares. Yeah, no, good point, good point. All right, my friend. Well, it's uh, say it's time for me to stretch my hammies and make sure I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't tear one on the couch. Uh, as always, really good fun. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, that's a good and, one. Uh, Uh, But most of all, of course, our thanks to you out there for listening to us. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today and you're you're new to the show, then there's plenty of old episodes to listen to. And you can follow us on Twitter. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. If you want to follow me, you can do that very easily. I'm at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And I'm at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. All right, my friend. Come on, you wife. Thank you. Let's see what happens. (laughs) Look at you. Look at you. Shot right up for it. Well, Roger, it's it's six thirty in the morning. I've been awake for about seven hours. I've, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. I've got Tony in fantasy, so like, I'm sorry, I'm going for them today. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Best All of right. luck. Well, Best of luck. Right, Take mate. care. May your fantasies be shattered. See ya. Yeah.